Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again. Before we get started, we're going to say a huge thank you to our newest Patreon supporters. So, hi and thank you to Alice, Vicky Bullock, Jamie Flores, Jessica Tucker and Terry Burke-Wolin. Thank you very much, everybody. If you would like to join these people, then all you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. And we've got loads of stuff going on over there. We have indeed. You get bonus episodes, blog posts, competitions, book club. Book club is being joined by what I think should be Sir Colin Sutton this time again. You're not wrong, yeah. He should should be knighted for the work he's done. It's amazing. So yes, if you want to get involved in any of that or all of that, then uh, yeah, just head to uh, patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. Thank you to everybody who got in touch regarding last week's episode. I know it was a really tough listen. As Bethan very uh, accurately said in Instagram, <laughs> on Instagram, don't listen whilst listening. Uh, Basically, do you know what? Yeah. Just don't listen well, to, to be, it. I think subconsciously you were probably like, yeah, just don't listen to this one. Uh, but nearly 10,000 of you have so far. So thank you to everybody who got in touch, particularly one individual who uh, got in touch on our Facebook group. So to kind of move away from last week's, I said I was going to do something that would potentially cheer us up a little bit or at least be more lighthearted. So this week we have a main case, which is more lighthearted already. But first of all, a little mini case that hopefully might make us all smile, which I feel like we probably need. It was the 28th of April in 2003 when Manchester's Whitworth Art Gallery discovered three of its most famous paintings were missing. The Whitworth is part of the University of Manchester, which was founded in 1889 as the Whitworth Institute and Park, and it was created for the perpetual gratification of the people of Manchester, which I thought was very grand and very lovely. When the staff arrived for work that drizzly Monday morning, they were greeted by police outside. The steel back doors had been smashed in and there were three pieces of artwork missing. I'm already laughing at this because you're talking about smashing the back doors in. I literally left that in on purpose just to again give you a little bit of a smile. Their steel back doors had been smashed in. So the pieces of art that were missing were... The fortifications of Paris with houses, open brackets, the ramparts of Paris, close brackets. Because I haven't done that in a while as well, and I know you hate it. I do hate it. So Vincent van Gogh, so that's a pretty big name, isn't it? Um, Tahitian Landscape by Paul Gauguin. That sounds beautiful. I think that's how you say it. Tahitian Landscape, nice. And Poverty, open bracket, Les Miserables, close brackets by Pablo Picasso. So, like, the value of these three paintings came to approximately four million pounds, and I'm not surprised I'm, I'm shocked that's all it was you've got a you've got a van gogh and a picasso and whoever the hell this other guy is i thought that we'd be talking tens of millions of pounds so that is interesting the robbers had hit the gallery at some time after 9 p.m the previous saturday the 26th of april purposefully heading straight to the back of the building where it's dark secluded and completely off the main road There was some security like CCTV and roving patrols, but the thieves were not spotted. And once inside, they headed to the Margaret Pilkington room without any of the internal security guards or CCTV cameras noticing them. And they next proceeded to carefully screw the three paintings off the wall. Fleeing the way that they came into the night, the thieves were gone, leaving just the broken steel doors and the spaces where the art had been. Now, you're 
probably wondering where the light-hearted element comes in. So that part happened on the Monday morning. The police received an anonymous tip telling them where the paintings were and they headed straight over to the building that was just 200 metres away, finding that the paintings were indeed there. They had suffered slightly being out in the rain and the thieves were not captured, but the paintings were returned to the walls of the gallery. Why is it amusing? Well, the building in which the paintings were found, inside just a cardboard tube, which is just mind-boggling considering the types of paintings they are, it was a really horrible, scummy public toilet, and the thieves had left a note saying the intention was not not to steal, but only to highlight the woeful security. Oh my god. And this is the bit that I loved. The heist was somewhat comically dubbed the Louvre in our wonderful British media. Of course. I've never heard of this. This is really interesting. You've put a photo of this scummy public toilet, on which I'm loving. Yes, a disgusting toilet. That is vile, I dread to think, what it smelled like in there. You definitely know that someone's written someone's number on the wall and said, call for a good time. It's that kind of... Yeah, it's that kind of scummy toilet. That is interesting, though. I mean, this makes me think it's almost students or something. People that, I don't know, that had a bit of an inside knowledge of the university and this gallery and a a decent brain to pull this off. It's interesting, isn't it? So they've never been caught, but the artwork basically was was good enough. Like, it hadn't been damaged at all, really. It just had a bit of wear from being out for a couple of days and it had been raining. And, and normally they can restore paintings really well these yeah, days because exactly. I, I just, we'll, we'll have to pop this on Instagram with this as well. But do you remember, I can't remember where it was, maybe Spain or Italy, somewhere in Europe, I think. And there was a cleaner in a church who would, she, she'd tried to <laughs> yes, sort of, I yeah, this. she'd tried to clean <laughs> some classic painting that was priceless. And then she'd sort of, it's like when you start and you're like, oh fuck, I've like fucked that bit up now. So I'll just do this bit. And she'd I'll basically, just keep going. Yeah, and she'd basically repainted this whole artwork and it looked obscene by the time It was a face, she'd wasn't finished it? With like it. the yeah. face had rubbed off and she'd just drawn, I thought it was a bloke. I didn't realise it was a woman. It was and they hilarious. just drawn like a little bit of, yeah, incredible. Yeah, we need to get that on our socials for sure. So there we go. I hope that kind of classic sort of British journalism, we love a pun. I hope that's kind of cheered us up a bit. And we're now going to hear from this week's show sponsor before we move on to the main case for this week. And you will be pleased to know this will continue the light-hearted, no one is murdered and there's definitely no necrophilia involved theme of this week. Fantastic. This week's main case continues with the theme of art heists and it's going to focus on the famous piece The Scream by Norwegian artist Edvard Munch. This is my know... favourite painting, Bethan. Is it? That is my That's absolute favourite painting. I know a bit about this and I remember this heist. Ooh. And there's a num- there were a number of paintings produced by Edvard Munch, weren't there? I think he did sort of three different variations of The Scream, so... Ah, um, yes, because I've literally just put, I don't know if you know this, Mark, but there are four oh, wow. versions. So good knowledge there. I read it first and thought it sounded clever. No, <laughs> no I oh didn't. Oh my God, you so could have got away with that. I could. No, I did. No, I did know that. But um, yeah. Did you? Uh, yeah. It's an amazing painting and I'm cool, I'm sure everybody's familiar with it. But again, we'll get it up on Instagram, won't we, and Facebook. Of course. Yes. So the four versions, there's two painted versions and there's two versions that are done in pastels. And there's also a lithograph stone from which numerous prints were made. Um, I thought it was really fascinating that there's not just the one, because I I honestly assumed it was one 
piece of art, like one painting. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really interesting. I'm not sure if if many other famous famous artists have ever done that. So I was surprised when I first found out. Yeah, I think it was probably a little bit more common back in the day because they they would kind of revisit their artwork and it, almost like musicians kind of going back and re-recording mm. their old stuff better and with more knowledge or better instruments or better equipment. Um, quite often I feel like that was that was quite a thing and and also one of the crazy things is some of the old old artists they'd paint over stuff that they'd done before and you just think god imagine if you'd because they wouldn't have unlimited canvases and stuff they wouldn't have that money so imagine if they did have unlimited canvases and they just kind of left them all we'd have hundreds of pieces of artwork rather than potentially just three or four I think that's I think that's potentially how they are able to authenticate some of this art because they can put it through x-ray machines and stuff and they can see old paintings that were on um on there before and that will help to authenticate it yeah yeah so the first the scream was painted and released in 19 in 1893 then a pastel was done that same year and another pastel done in 1895 so pastel versions of the original and then a new painting was done in 1910 when Munch revisited his earlier work in his diary Munch spoke of his inspiration for the artwork saying one evening I was walking along a path the city was on one side and the fjord below I felt tired and ill I stopped and looked out over the fjord. The sun was setting and the clouds turning blood red. I sensed a scream passing through nature. It seemed to me that I heard the scream. I painted this picture, painted the clouds as actual blood. The colour shrieked. This became the scream, which I thought was just the most dramatic thing in the world as well. Not just I wanted to paint a picture. No, it's it's kind of how I would describe painting something if I could paint something, isn't it? <laughs> it literally it? is, yeah, isn't it? Massively overdramatic, but I love it. So the works have all been displayed in very prestigious places. The first painted version was the first exhibited, so in 1893, and it's now in the collection of the National Gallery of Norway in Oslo, and is the only version with a note on it that says, could only have been painted by a madman written by himself so there's a lot of talk about like what was going on with him to create this and a lot of people have said that the artwork itself depicts depression or insanity in some way and it's it's got a lot of kind of theories going around behind it and he's kind of fueled those by writing that on it in the first place as well yeah I think um I think that's why it speaks to so many people because it's almost it's almost a a painting of for me it's a painting of depression that's what I see when when I see it so it really talks to me as someone who's struggled with that like so many of us have so that's I think that's why it resonates so much with so many people a pastel version from that year is in the collection of the Munch Museum which is also in Oslo the second pastel version is also in the collection of the Munch Museum and one of the pastel versions I'm not sure which one was exhibited at the Museum of Modern Art in New York at one point um, another was exhibited at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam in 2015. So like we see quite a lot, the pieces are kind of lent back and forth. They they don't really belong to anybody, do they? They just kind of are potentially donated by the family to one museum, but then they can, they're just, they belong to art. <laughs> oh my God, Bethan, that sounds so <laughs> fucking pretentious. Um, it really does. That kind of sums up the art world quite well. But I, I, this reminds me actually because of, of paintings being loaned out. 
Because I, I remember going to London a few years ago, maybe like a year before the pandemic started. I really wanted to see The Sunflowers. Is it called The Sunflowers or Sunflowers by Van Gogh? And it was at the National Gallery. I think I know this story. Yeah, so I, I literally went to London for this entire purpose because I thought I really want to see this painting. And I remember painting it as when I was uh, like, 13, 14 in art class mm. at school. And the teacher said that it was a fucking masterpiece, if I do say so myself. And did she, your teacher really say fucking masterpiece? She said it was a they? fucking masterpiece. She was an artist. <laughs> and she let me work on it for the best part of an entire year. And I didn't do any other sort of modules in art because she was like, no, just carry on with that. It's it's a masterpiece. So I painted it. So I always remembered this painting. <laughs> Thought I'll go and see it. Rocked up. First of all, I went to the National Portrait Gallery. So fucked up and was like, where's the Van Gogh? And they're like, yeah, this is the portrait gallery. So went to the National Gallery, walked all the way into the Van Gogh room right at the back. And there's just a fucking notice where the painting was supposed to be saying we've we've loaned it out to a gallery in Amsterdam or something. (laughs) And I was like, no, I can't believe this. Uh, Do you know what? I do know that story and you've definitely told me it before, but it still makes me laugh just as much. But in one of the in like a really sad way like I just want to give you a hug I, I need to I I, just, I still need to go and see it I need to put that to bed I think you need therapy about this I think that's the other I'll issue. mention it to my therapist see what she makes of it so being a famous piece of artwork as well as having lots of people wanting to come and see it and people wanting to display it means of course the scream is desirable to thieves and collectors the first time it was stolen was in 1994 At this point, Norway was a country filled with the buzz of excitement. They were due to host the 1994 Olympic Games. So you can just imagine how much the country was just in party mode and excitement. Norway's National Museum decided to make a showcase of all things Norwegian, a real celebration of their culture. And in the reshuffle, they moved their version of the screen from its usual location to a ground floor gallery. This has been considered quite the foolish move, which I thought was quite sweet the way that it's been reported as a foolish move, as many consider the ground floor of museums to be the hardest to secure. They're certainly the busiest floor, they're nearest to the exits, and their windows are within reach. But that being said, the gallery considered that their security cameras and alarm systems were sufficient to protect their national treasures. As the country began to wake up on the 12th of February 1994, excited for the opening ceremony of the Olympics, it was about 6am when the museum's alarm went off, alerting a guard who phoned the police. And although the police arrived at the gallery in mere minutes, they were frustratingly too late. Security camera footage showed two men climbing a ladder, smashing a gallery window, cutting the screen off the wall with wire cutters, and subsequently fleeing with the painting. The heist had taken just 50 seconds. And the thieves had left a postcard behind in the gallery, a bit like your little painting thing, a little note. It's not here right now. They'd put on it a thousand thanks for the poor security, (laughs) which I thought was really savage. That was really audacious. So... At the time, there were a few people who either claimed responsibility or were thought of as potentially being responsible. A few days after the theft, a Norwegian anti-abortion group said it could ha- that the gallery could have the painting returned if Norwegian television showed an anti-abortion film, but that claim turned out to be a lie. The gallery also got a ransom letter in the March, but they refused to pay it because they doubted that that was true. 
And eventually the police found four pieces of the painting's frame in a suburb north of Oslo called Nitterdal and what may have been a cryptic message that the thieves wanted to discuss a ransom. Detectives from our very own Scotland Yard played a key role in the undercover sting operation which eventually recovered the stolen artwork. And, little segue here, but something that I thought was interesting, British police are apparently quite often involved in tracking down Europe's stolen art because an estimated 60% of Europe's stolen art ends up in London. I wonder if that's because there's so many rich people in London that maybe, I don't know, put in requests for particular paintings to be stolen to order. But I do think we have a lot of foreign nationals in England who are very, very rich as well. So it would make sense that um, they potentially would want to bring it into London. And I wonder as well, like, have we got a lot of naughty boys in London that could be good fences? I, I suppose so. It's, it's, it's probably just over time it's become the capital of, of fencing high value art. Maybe it's just become known for that. So the Norwegian police had contacted London shortly after the theft and the Norwegians worked closely with the head of Scotland Yard's Arts and Antiques squad, Chief Inspector John Butler. Two of Butler's agents got in touch with people who claimed they could get hold of the scream and so the two officers fooled the thieves by pretending that they were also kind of criminals and basically saying they were going to buy the painting for £250,000. Nutberg, the director of the National Gallery in Oslo, said that the painting had a microscopic pinprick but was otherwise undamaged and he said the thieves must have handled it with extreme caution. It was wonderful to see the painting again and we hope to have it back on the wall on Wednesday. The Minister for Culture said to the press, I am extremely happy and relieved that one of our greatest and most well-known art treasures has been recovered. This has been an eye-opener. Four men were arrested and convicted of theft and attempting to sell stolen property. The gang had been led by Paul Edgar, who was no stranger to art theft. Edgar had already spent four years in prison in the late 1980s for a theft of another Munch artwork, The Vampire, and Edgar was sentenced this time to six and a half years in prison. He escaped whilst on a field trip, not really sure why they're all on a field trip, in 1999 and he was captured 12 days later in a blonde wig and dark sunglasses trying to buy a train ticket to Copenhagen. Oh, I mean, I've so It's like stuff out of a film. Yeah, isn't it? honestly, this needs to be made into a film. It might already have been, I don't know, but yeah, there's so many questions here. Why were they on a field trip? And where does he get this wig and all of this shit from? And how do they even catch up with him? It's incredible, isn't it? And after his release, Enger actually legitimately purchased a Munch lithograph at an auction in 2001. Wow. So he's just obsessed with Munch, isn't he? Clearly. He's gone and got the vampire, then he's gone and got the scream, and now he's gone, do you know what? I'll go straight. I'm going to get a legitimate purchase of an item. So I wonder if he was, well, he wasn't even stealing it for himself because he was willing to sell it on, I suppose, for this quarter of a million pounds. But yeah, clearly obsessed with it. Maybe he just thought it's a little homage to that robbery I'll get the yeah, actually, uh, lithograph. Maybe it yeah. is. Maybe it's an homage to his past and his history. And when people come round, he can kind of talk about the old days. How he owned an original for a period of time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In an unfortunate twist, the convictions of the other three of the four thieves were actually overturned on a technicality because the undercover British detectives entered Norway using false identities, which obviously is a violation of Norwegian law. So a um, little bit awkward that they were working with Scotland Yard, but because the British police still kind of came in undercover, like in their, det- in their like little disguises, 
couldn't actually then prosecute the other three. Oh, that's so, it's so frustrating when things like that happen because the, all the evidence would have been there. And like you say, it's purely a technicality that means three people get away with this. Something else I found really interesting was, um, so M- Museum Director Nutberg, a few hours after the robbery, kind of addressed the press and stated that whilst the screen was Norway's most valuable and Munch's most renowned artwork, it would be impossible to sell. There was an article I read which really elaborated on this and it said, experts know that stolen paintings are pretty much unsaleable. So a legitimate legal version of the screen would go for tens of millions on the art market. But a stolen version is kind of pretty much worthless because it's it's actually more trouble than it's worth. And actually, like whoever buys it can't really display it or show it off, can they? No, but I do have this sort of image in my head of some of these oligarchs living in £100 million mansions in central London with huge iceberg basements where they just kind of go down and the the walls are covered in originals from Picasso and Munch, etc., that they've just had stolen to order. And, and that's probably okay for them. They can go down there and satisfy themselves by seeing it and knowing it's their little secret. But that's probably just my fantasy. I think you're right, though. I do think you're right. And there must be some people who who are that way inclined. Yeah, I would be if I had the money. I'd be getting all this shit stolen to order. I'd want a, 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 an original of the screen for sure. And they're not really for sale on the open market. So you've got no choice. If you want it and you're rich enough to have it, then you'll make that happen. And you need the sunflowers so that you don't turn up to oh, a yeah. gallery and not see it again. You need that one in That's your, what bed- I'm gonna in your do. bedroom. If I, win the, bed. if I win the lottery, I'm going to get a team together to go and take that from the National Gallery and it's going in <laughs> my own National Gallery in my big basement. Are you going to say, if I, get, if I win the lottery, I'll buy the painting? No, I get it stolen to order. Incredible. So, whilst he's saying, you know, it's more trouble than it's worth and it's not, you know, it's worthless once you steal it, that didn't mean that there wasn't another theft. And in fact, just 10 years later, there was another raid. This time, however, it wasn't just a quick in and out, less than one minute jobby with no witnesses. This time, there were people who not only witnessed the robbery, but even a witness who took a photo of the thieves fleeing. Wow. Which I thought you'd enjoy. The Munch Museum is an art museum in Oslo, Norway, which is, probably quite obviously from the name, a museum dedicated to the life and works of Edvard Munch. The museum was open on this day and it was busy. There were approximately 70 visitors. When, just after 11am on the 22nd of August, two robbers wearing balaclavas entered the museum armed with pistols. Shocked visitors to the museum looked on as they marched over to the painting The Scream, attempting to rip it from the wall. Speaking in Norwegian, one of the men held the two guards at gunpoint, ordering them to the floor. Um, The other robber then kind of used a wire cutter to clip the framed painting off the wall. They fled, grabbing and removing another painting, which was Madonna, and left the building. I I just, um, I get this impression, you know, when you're at the checkout at a supermarket and you see, you see all the nice kind of impulse buys that they put there and you just like grab something quickly. It's like, oh, I'm here already. <laughs> I'll just fucking throw that on the conveyor belt. It's almost like they've gone to, to rob the, the scream and it's like, oh, fuck it. We'll have the Madonna as well whilst we're here. Let's just grab that one. She's got her boobs out. That'll be good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Good bit of porn. <laughs> Classic. Um, so I can't remember if I said, but this was in 2004. I can't, I, you I didn't like I alluded you said to that ten, when I said it was said, 10 years later. Well, but that would involve a lot of having to remember what I'd even said before. Exactly. So, I'm glad that yeah. you cleared that up. 
sorry about that. Um, and kind of leading on from this whole, these guys were just a bit, just grabbing what they could sort of thing. Witnesses described the thieves as clumsy. They even dropped the paintings on the way out. Oh, no. This was no sophisticated or slick job. And like I said before, a bystander even photographed the robbers as they escaped to their car with the artwork. And I've put the picture below, Mark. Isn't that ridiculous? Honestly, there's, again, we'll get it on on socials, but there is two guys running across a strip of grass, each carrying a massive painting. That's crazy, isn't it? And the police said it was probable that the paintings were sticking out of the cars, the, the thieves' car as they made their <laughs> getaway. <laughs> oh, God. Do you reckon they used like an old shoelace to tie the boot down? Oh, it would be one of those people who didn't even bother to tie the boot down, just had it boinging around dangerously. Yeah. Witnesses to the crime stated that no alarms went off when the paintings were stolen and they were only attached to the wall by wire. One of the people visiting the museum when the crime happened said to the press, all you had to do is pull on the painting hard for the cord to break loose, which is what I saw one of the thieves doing. The guards were unarmed and they had really no choice but to do what they were told because they were faced with a gun. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, we've said it so many times in the past, we quite often make light of of these kind of heists and and robberies. And generally speaking, not many uh, victims would... Um, be involved in something like this but yeah that's that's gonna traumatize them for the rest of their lives they've had a gun in their face all in the name of of somebody just pinching a painting so it is serious isn't it it is and this is the thing um i've gone with these crimes because at least nobody's died but it is it is still going to be traumatizing for the gallery management and owners and the staff and people who even if you're not involved but you turn up to work and you see that it's all open and the paintings are gone. That's going to make you feel really gutted and awful. Mm. But yeah, for these security guards being made to lie on the floor at gunpoint, not able to do their job, which is to protect the artwork, they are going to be traumatised. I'm just looking at the next part on your notes and I'm like, what the actual fuck? Yeah, so we're going to continue with the lighthearted elements. So now that we've had a little bit of a serious moment... Do you know my favourite chocolate? But I feel like you've read ahead now. I've read it. It's M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> what are you on I, about? I love M&M's and the confectioner even got involved into some of the investigations in this theft. I bet you what? weren't expecting that, I were you? I was not expecting that. I, so, I'm baffled. We're going we're gonna to get back onto that in a moment. But we're going to look at some of the investigation and then we're going to get back to back to some classic M&M's. The discovery later that day of the paintings' frames and glass led to fears that the paintings had been damaged. On the 8th of April 2005, Norwegian police arrested a suspect in connection with the theft, but the paintings remained missing. And despite assurance from the police that a recovery was likely, rumours began to circulate that the paintings had been burned by the thieves to destroy evidence. On the 1st of June 2005, with four suspects already in custody in connection with the crime, the city government of Oslo offered a reward of 2 million Norwegian kroner, so roughly 313,500, is that 1,000 US dollars? That's 1,000, yeah. So 313,000, 314,000 US dollars. And that was the reward for information that could help to locate the paintings. And to sweeten the deal a phrase I have entirely lifted from a news article because it was really funny. M&M's, the candy maker, also announced that they would give two million M&M's in exchange for the return of the scream. Oh, I think, I mean, that's that's worth it. If if I, 
if I could claim a reward like that, I'd give up my own granny. Well, despite this incentive, no one came forward. But more on that, again, in a little while. We'll keep coming back to those, and I'm going to be really hungry by the time we finish recording. Although the paintings were still missing, six men went on trial in early 2006, variously charged with either helping to plan or participating in the robbery, and three of the six were sentenced. Bjorn Hohn was so sentenced to seven years for planning the heist. Peter Thralsund was sentenced to eight years for driving the getaway car. Peter Rosmange was sentenced to four years for supplying the car. And furthermore, Hohen and Thransden were ordered to pay the sum of 750 million kroner, which is the estimated value of the paintings, to the city of Oslo. This was kind of handed down to them as a symbolic sentence, just to kind of make a point of you've stolen this from the city. Mm. The Munch Museum was closed for 10 months for a security overhaul. On the 31st of August 2006, two years after the raid, Norwegian police announced that a police operation had recovered both the Scream and Madonna. Two years. But they didn't reveal any detailed circumstances of the recovery, which is really frustrating. I kind of get it, but I'm a bit annoyed because I wanted to know more. But what is known is that the paintings had remained in Norway after they were stolen. No reward has been paid out to retrieve them and the paintings were the verified originals. The police also made a kind of a point that the prior arrests and convictions did not result in the recovery of the paintings, but new, no new arrests had been made. Does that make sense? It does. It's all um, clandestine, isn't it? Very. There's, they obviously don't want to give much information away because maybe they had tip-offs from the art underworld and they've got to protect their sources and how they managed to track these down. Yeah. A couple of years later, in 2008, a Scotland Yard detective who was involved in the recovery of the first stolen The Scream revealed some interesting details about the recovery of the second stolen The Scream. So they explained that a criminal already serving a 20-year sentence for armed robbery was able to trade information leading to the recovery of the artworks in exchange for a better life in prison and perhaps the M&M's reward. But Oslo police have made no official comment on this. So I think, as you as you mentioned... It's almost, let's just protect our sources a little bit. And the M&M's is just, I don't know what like drew me to this case because it wasn't the M&M's and then it started coming up lots and lots and I was like, this is incredible. I mean, obviously somebody in their PR department just thought, this is going to be great. We're going to jump on this and get loads of free publicity. Yeah, so, someone in America well was done, like, this yeah. is what they'll want in Norway, man. Yeah, that was a yeah. terrible American accent. I'm very sorry. Don't know which part of America that was meant to be. Anyway, back to the recovery of the artwork. The paintings were said to be in a better than expected condition. The director of the Munch Museum confirmed the condition of the painting, saying it was better than expected and the minor elements of damage could be repaired. And the damage that the paintings did sustain was caused by carelessness and neglect. So it wasn't like they'd been damaged on purpose or maliciously. It was just that they had a bit more wear and tear than they would have had were they on a wall being protected. The scream had moisture damage on the lower left corner, while Madonna suffered several tears on the right side of the painting, as well as two holes in Madonna's arm. I'm really trying not to um, say anything really inappropriate, but because the Madonna, she's got her breasts out and they're 
poked two holes <laughs> in that painting. I'm just in her arm. I know. I know. It's not like they've made nipple holes or something, Mark. I know. Let's God's just sake. let's just leave it oh, there. Oh fuck off, Mark! Oh, shut sh- up. <laughs> this is because we're recording for once on a Friday morning, so I've got that Friday feeling. Normally, it's a Sunday morning, isn't yeah. it? What's wrong with us? But also, I have been told recently that I haven't given you a good fuck off for a while. So, if you're that silly, that's good because at least our listeners will get a couple. So there were two holes in her arm, not anything rude. And before repairs and restoration began, the paintings were put on public display by the Munch Museum. And it was kind of as of the 27th of September 2006 for a five-day exhibition, which I thought was such a good idea because 5,500 people viewed the damaged paintings in just those five days. They must have made an absolute killing out of that. And also, it is, I suppose it is a piece of, well, a slice of history in that painting. Exactly. Yeah, I get it seeing that damage because then the fixed works went back on display um it was much later though may 2008 um the exhibition scream and madonna revisited at the munch museum in oslo displayed the paintings together so you would have seen that bit of history before they were fixed which i think is really quite cool yeah i love that so some people believe that this theft was actually a distraction that was meant to take police away from another investigation one into a murdered norwegian police officer um, that's kind of one of the theories, but basically the motives of the thieves isn't known for sure. They weren't able to make much money from the thefts. It wasn't a sophisticated crime. And by the time the paintings were found, the perpetrators had already been identified, charged and found guilty of the theft of the paintings. So who knows for sure? So to finish this week's episode, we're going to go back to those M&Ms. And I read a really funny tongue-in-cheek article where this reward was discussed. The journalist was very interested about where the sweets were going to go. So he asked in his article, would the M&M's ever make their way to Norway? And a a spokesman for M&M's ad responded to his email saying, Norwegian authorities are continuing to review the case around the recovered paintings. For that reason, we have been asked by them to postpone final disimbursement of the reward until we get their approval. Until then, I'm afraid we're unable to announce any details. And he then asked a very important question. Will the M&Ms go to the thief? I don't know why this is so important to him. See, this would annoy me so much if I was responsible for the investigation into into bringing those people to justice and recovering the painting. I'd be like, just fuck off, M&M PR twats. This is serious shit and I don't need you just jumping all over it. Well, I mean... This guy's kind of emailing the spokesman for M&M's and the spokesman said, our intention is returning it to the police. We'd never give a reward to a convicted criminal. So actually, it's not even just M&M's that the police might get annoyed by. This journalist called the assistant chief of police for Oslo (laughs) to ask him about it. So he responded by saying, we're waiting for the final court case, possibly this summer. We have proposed that instead of the candy, a cheque for 140,000 Norwegian kroner, so about $26,000, will be sent here. That's what the candy is worth. We're not allowed to take the money, but we have a plan and the money will go to the Munch Museum. Okay, uh, I'll give them that. That's kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I quite like that. I mean, I would want chocolate, but what can a museum do with chocolate? And the journalist wanted to know whether this police officer could comment on the thief who had supposedly bartered his way to a better life in prison but he simply got a no comment reply. And then the journalist went on to talk about how the M&M spokesman had confirmed the fact that the actual M&Ms wouldn't be sent over and he'd elaborated with. There was a question of the logistics of sending it. Moreover, sending the cash is much more useful because it can go to the museum. 
2 million M&Ms equates to 40,000 bags of M&Ms, about 2.2 tonnes. So I'm just going to leave the episode on that note. If an M&M's spokesperson is listening today, I'm more than happy to take delivery of 2.2 tonnes of my favourite chocolate. And if it's easier for you, I can take a smaller amount delivered on a monthly or perhaps quarterly basis. I've got no information to help with an art theft or anybody's motives, but I like your chocolate. So this has basically been an excuse for you to (laughs) try and get some free candy. It didn't start off that way, but it's ended that way. Who knows, maybe somebody is listening from the M&M Corporation and yeah, uh, please do get in touch. So there we go, guys. I really hope you don't mind that I've been in, you know, basically entirely frivolous and a bit silly with this episode, but I really felt like we all kind of needed that. Last week's episode was so important that we did share that case and that we brought it to the forefront. And I feel like you did an incredible job, Mark, because it must have been horrendous to research and write and it was horrible to listen to, so to report on it must have been awful. Um, but I just really wanted to kind of lighten life a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I think we definitely needed this. And last week's episode, it, it's one of those awful, obviously it was just terrible, it was sick. And it's one of those cases like we have from time to time, don't we, that just stay with, with us. And that case has stayed with me and it's it's haunting really. So um, yeah, this is the tonic that we absolutely needed. We'll be back next week. I think next week it will just be me because are you on holiday for I next am. week's episode, Mark? You've booked a little cheeky getaway, haven't you? I certainly have, yep. So I won't well, be course. around. Uh, you have to go see the sunflowers in a museum? No, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm off to see the sun. So, um, so yeah, it'll just be oh, just that? be you. We've missed that. I know. I need it. Yeah, so I'm having withdrawal symptoms. So yeah, it'll just be you on your on your lonesome. I think, won't it? And then hopefully we'll be back together after that. Lovely. Well, there we go. We Speak will you see soon, you guys. soon. Bye. Bye.